Greetings and welcome to the Golf Betting System Podcast 90. We are discussing the WGC FedEx St. Jude Invitational and the Barracuda Championship on the PGA Tour. This podcast is for listeners of 18 and above. Please be gamble aware. I'm Steve Bamford, PGA Tour Preview at Golf Betting System and with me, I have Golf Betting System's European Tour expert and our WGC expert, Paul Williams. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Steve. How you doing? I'm all right. It's a bit hot, isn't it? Bit warm, yeah. Up to up to hundred degrees on Thursday, apparently. I've got a cup of tea here, which is making me sweat even more, and a nice <laughs> cool orange juice. Yeah, I think I'd go for the orange juice. Let's see how long that lasts. Uh, golfbettingsystem.co.uk is our website naturally we're available on social media you can join our Golf Betting System Facebook group the link is available in the description box Paul is available at Golf Betting on Twitter I'm available at Bamford Golf look out for the Golf Betting System YouTube channel where I present the Golf Betting Show every week I've already released our WGC show went out yesterday Uh, I'll put a link in the description box. This podcast is available on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, Audioboom, Buzzsprout and YouTube, plus a myriad of different pod channels. Actually, when you look look at it on Google now, there's two pages of different pod channels that you can listen to this podcast on. That's a lot of pod channels. Now... We are asking for two simple things from you guys. Please take time to rate and review us on iTunes. That is the podcast currency and drives our listener numbers continually upwards. Secondly, if you're in the growing band of YouTube listeners, please subscribe and like the show. We've now burst through 3,000 subscribers on YouTube, so that's very good. As ever, for those of you who leave a review, I will read them out at the start of next week's show. Leave your name in the review so we can read it out on the podcast. You were going to say, Paul, until I cut you off, it's very good, isn't it? 3,000 subscribers. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Yes. It's, it's been steadily improving, which is... Uh, I think we've added 1,000 so far in 2019, and mm. that's with YouTube cutting us off for a couple of weeks when yeah. they closed the channel down. We, <laughs> supposedly, yeah. we shouldn't be mentioning betting on any kind of yeah. YouTube show. Us and uh, hundreds of other YouTube channels. Hundreds well, of others, so. yes. Um, yes, so 3,000 subscribers. Are we actually through the 5,000 mark on, Gulf, on the know, just, uh, Facebook just, group? Yeah? Just, just short of it, but yeah, I think that'll probably be this week at some point. So yeah, pop over to the group and uh, oh, yeah. join if you're not already if on there's the, not a good uh, reason for doing it, eh? you could be one of the f- one the one that tips us over 5,000 on the Facebook group. Yeah. So get over. I've got a review here, Paul. Okay. It's from Shimmy37. He's in the United States of America. He says, top-notch golf pod, five stars, great podcast, exclamation mark. A must-listen each week. Very detailed research backs up the picks by these gents. So thank you, Shimmy37. Yeah, thanks, Shimmy. Good luck this week, Shimmy. Absolutely. As I said, if you leave us a um, a, uh, a review this week, we'll read it out next. And of course, if you do leave your name in the podcast... I will read that out as well. Right. I suppose we shouldn't really move forward unless we discuss the Open from Royal Port Rush last week. Mm. I know as a group, we had a disaster with our betting. Yeah, yeah. Nowhere, nowhere near Shane Lowry, to be fair. But um, he was incredibly impressive, wasn't he? I mean, that weekend... I mean, all the four days, but that weekend was just absolutely outstanding. Under, under the most intense pressure... 
they clearly go back a few. Was it was it Oakmont where he'd lost to um, Dustin Johnson? Yeah, twenty sixteen. Yeah. And you know he carried a lead into that, didn't he? And um, just played really defensively, I think, that US Open, and you know clearly he'd learned a bit, got himself into position this time, and um, he, he didn't look didn't look remotely like throwing it away on Sunday. He was um, he was very very solid, very gritty, tough conditions, and uh, absolutely deservedly won that Open Championship. Mm. Very impressed. He um he took the course apart on the Saturday evening, didn't he? When the mm. wind laid down, it was funny that final, those two final rounds, wasn't it? The wind was up for the morning start of Saturday, and then died, and then it was completely the reverse on the Sunday. Yeah? But he he put the damage in by then, didn't he? That yeah, round exactly. on Saturday was um, was world class, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, and you got to ride the lumps and bumps of the the weather with the Open Championship. It happens every time, doesn't it? You can get caught in a squall. You can. You can be out in part of a, a morning or an afternoon wave that gets impacted by the by the wind or the rain or whatever. But um, he, uh, he he rode that and he, he he played some outstanding golf. His greens and regulation was right up there with the very best all week and uh, top top thing, wasn't it? Top yeah, top. I think so. Yeah, and um, you know if you're doing that, making your putts and, uh, and holding your nerve, you deserve to get the rewards that you get. And, He's been partying ever since, by the looks of it, which um, fair play to him. I think that's the, the way to celebrate your maiden major championship. I've made some notes here, Paul, on a post-it mm. note. Shall I go through them? Go on. Uh, world number one still hasn't won the Open for a long, long time. Yep. I just thought I'd get that one in there. Um, <laughs> Lowry was another one who filled the gap between the US Open and the and the Open. 34th at the Irish Open, kind of cruised it. He started with 66, which was uh, good enough for 10th on that day. But as you said, it wasn't the kind of stellar form that we had seen from previous winners. No. He had got that second place in Canada when I was on him, if you remember. Yeah. Yeah. And also, he had that major top 10 recently with that 8th at the PGA Championship. Mm-hmm. And that eighth at the PGA Championship was interesting because if you remember, it was very, very windy at Beth Page on that Sunday. Yeah. Um, yeah, and he, he got an early, didn't he? He was, he was the, the one that jumped from 26th up to eighth with a very good closing round. Mm-hmm. So he, you know, we know that he's a he's a very good win player. Of course, that short game. But as you said, he actually topped GIR. Yep. So, you know, you, you, you merit that to a fantastic scrambling game, one of the best scramblers on tour. Yeah, you know, he took it apart, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he did, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, don't care. He had that also. He had that. I know he had three or was it three or four missed cuts at the Open prior to, but he yeah, did have Detroit, yeah. a he did have the Open Championship top ten mm-hmm. that, as we've said in that in the our preview for a number of years now, seems to be a real prerequisite. Yeah. So there were some. Um, there were some. Trends that continued, but he certainly wiped out the white hot form. Yeah, it depends how far you go back with the form, doesn't it? Because you wouldn't call it white hot. 34th, 28th, and then second. It it wasn't as if he was coming off of eight straight missed cuts, was it? No. no, Eighth at the PGA, second in Canada. So and then twenty eighth at Pebble Beach, he was in decent enough, Nick. So you just got a broad, and also of course third at Harbour Town back in April. Yeah. I mean, that seems a long time ago. I was on holiday at that point. 
sitting at the leaderboard by the swimming pool, seeing all of my tips com- combust, <laughs> mainly Jordan Spieth. Yeah. But anyway, let's not, throw the, you, throw you always remember this stuff, don't you? Yeah, I mean, if you go back to the preview podcast we did the week before the Open, and um, mm-hmm. we talked about some of these trends, and I got down to a list of 22 players in right. that podcast. Um, just yeah, yeah. just rattling through a few of the few of the uh, trends that you just listed there, and Shane Larry was on that list, and we, yeah. you remember we read through the, the names there, and um, clearly if you got down to that list of twenty two, you could you could have taken a punt on him. I mean, for me, looking at his four most recent Open Championship finishes, which each of which was a missed cut, was a bit off putting. Um, the fact that you had played Portrush back in 2012, 2012 on the in the Irish Open and he finished 51st was another you know negative for me and I know there were plenty on there there were plenty of punters who'd taken a chance on Lowry who was tips in a couple of places and well done very well done for anyone who took took the Absolutely. chance with him because to get a 66 70 to 1 in spots on Monday return um Winner at the Open Championship is a very strong result, but um, but yeah, he, he fulfilled a lot of the trends. Thirty third in the world, wasn't he before that? So um, he's uh, you know everything yeah. that we were talking about in the in the preview show was there. The only things that were missing were those kind of very immediate finishes. Mm. But um, yeah, it all fell to, fell in place for Shane, and he took his chance yeah. with. Uh, with, with, we uh, we talked about Rory, didn't we? And the crowd getting behind him, but actually, mm. it wasn't it wasn't Rory that in the end delivered the goods. It was clearly Shane who took that huge boost yep. and used it. Sixty three yep. in round three. That's mad. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, the, McMacroy's effort to try and make the cut on Friday was, was was a great spectacle. You know, from the position he'd left himself in. Um, to get that close to making the cut was a fantastic effort. Uh, as to how much mental strength that's, that's, that's sapped out of him in the short term, we should we should see because clearly most of these players are back in action straight away this week um, over at the uh, WGC St Jude. So uh, it's going to be fascinating to see how some of these players uh, react after the trials and tribulations of last week. But yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, apart from the apart from the betting, which you know, from the position that I was in at various points with, with Xander having made a, a, a bad start with all of the driver issues that he had and uh, getting himself back in the mix and John Ram John John Ram Ram John Ram was in the uh, in the mix all the way through until Sunday. Um even Webb Simpson was kind of flirting with a, a place oh, yeah. a number of times. Starting he, he, well. Lucas Glover at two hundred to one. You know, there were a couple of yeah. uh, couple of rounds where he got himself into a decent spot and you're thinking, well, top ten's not out of the equation here and then I had Stenson as well. I could I could have traded out for a small profit right through most of Saturday until Lowry started getting away. Yeah. But you don't, do you? Not at that point, because you think one of them's gonna actually crack on. Yeah. But yeah. they didn't, and he pulled away. And it was gone then. Gone. Yeah. But yeah. The other thing I noted on my post-it note, they're made by 3M, by the way. Do you know that? Because uh, Bryson went around the factory before the 3M opened a few weeks ago. Right. He wouldn't leave, apparently, because you know, he was he was so into all the technology and the, the science of it all. Yeah, I expect that to uh, float his boat, that kind of thing. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, the other thing I noted here was just, and we did say this, that course was so exposed 
when that rain and wind came through, mm. there was a lot of high class players that just could not cope with it. Yeah. One one um, I wouldn't put this as a black mark, but one thing I have noticed about Xander. Put him on a technical golf course when the wind does howl and he falls away. We saw that at Beth Page with those four or five straight bogeys at the finish. Yeah. And he yeah. that that weather completely blew him away at it's, uh, yeah. Wallport Rush. I know. It is, it is it's strange because he thrives in difficult conditions. He, he thrives on difficult courses. He likes the yeah. challenge of a He hasn't a quite got his test. head around that yet, no. But yeah, whether, it was, whether he's got the, the control of his ball flight and all of the facets that you need to be able to master a, t- a very, yeah. very windy. On a tough course in the wind. Different yeah. when you're playing Kapalua in 20 miles an hour, yeah, where you can yeah. still shoot 66s as opposed to somewhere where you're shooting par is, an, is a top, top score. Yeah. Uh, that needs to develop in him, yeah. I thought JT was getting his head around Lynx Golf this week as well. Till that yeah. ball plugged on seven. Did you see the? Did you see that um, YouTube clip that his dad filmed of him on? I think it was sixteen green. That I just didn't shut, know. I mean, the conditions on TV, as ever, did not really portray the reality. Oh no, no, no! As he was coming home, sixteen and seven. I mean, he lost his ball on seventeen. That was right in the middle of one of those really. Horrific. Oh mate. Uh, squawks. It reminded me of Turnbury when we went in 09 when we saw one come in. Yeah. And Tiger hit it in the with he hit it in the on the cliffs. <laughs> but yeah, it was he was a little bit earlier, wasn't he, Thomas? He wasn't quite. Was he like an hour and a bit in front of the of the leader? Yeah. So, so as uh, as the leaders were, they were probably playing eleven or twelve, something like that. When some of those some of the weather really came in, and you know they, they kind oh, of stood mate. there cowering underneath an umbrella for a while. But if you were caught Incredible. playing a shot during that period of time, then you were in you've had it. Mm. But that's Lynx goal for you. Is it Jude? Is it? Is there any idea of whether it's going to return to Rawport Rush on the rotor? I've not seen anything specific. No, no. You know, it was it was a, it was a fantastic success from what I could see. Very well, yeah. you know, sell out all four days. Clearly, a very um, strong, passionate crowd all the way through it, and uh, the atmosphere was fantastic. Why not? Mm. If you put, if you stack that course against others on the rotor, I think it'd be. Definitely towards the more difficult, especially mm. when the wind does blow. Yep. And I think that that's what blew a lot of players off off the course, especially some of the Americans that we saw. Uh, Finau, very, very impressive to do what he did in that final round as well from Tony. Yep. That's yep. fine. That, that victory has got to come at some point. You know, he's far too good a player not to. Yeah, I mean, he, he pulls out some decent finishes in majors, that's for sure. It's just... He does, doesn't he? From nowhere as well, from yeah. form that's often Johnny Vegas like. What's he, what's he <laughs> won? Did he won Puerto Rico, was it? I think that's the Puerto Rico, yeah. Was it 16, 2017, something like that? Yeah, he's a better player. Uh, he's far too, he's far, far better than that. So all in all, I, I did thoroughly enjoy it. I, mm. I did enjoy watching it. Um, I didn't think much to the Open Championship website. And the way that they were displaying um, data on there was shocking, mate. <laughs> Absolutely shocking. Yeah, it's kind and of... When, when are they going to ever add strokes gain to the mix? That's what I want to know. It's so, Yeah, sometimes these, you know, they're just not quite up with the uh, the technology that's out there and no. uh, compared to so many other majors and certainly compared to the regular PGA Tour site, it's uh, uh, far, far behind, isn't it? But uh, 
these things will catch up eventually, I'm sure. Right. Should we talk about this new WGC event that's uh, kind of moved down to Memphis, Tennessee? Mm. Now, of course, this is the old St. Jude Classic tournament that used to be the week before the US Open. That's right. But now, of course, with this new um, shortened PGA Tour schedule, they've placed it the week after the Open Championship. And if I cast my mind back into the dim and distant past, I think the last time this happened was when Tiger Woods won. Um, didn't he win that? He won a WGC the week after the Open at Watford, didn't he? Oh, at the Grove, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah you got it. Shot, shot 24 now. under or something. Mm. Incredible. I think that was the last time that this kind of... Sh- uh, this kind of Positioning took place. Yep, yep, yeah. It's been you know regularly with the last few years. It's been it's been pretty straightforward, isn't it? So we've had the uh, the WGC at Aquan Firestone that's then then led into the um, the PGA Championship. But as you say, with um, with the way the schedule's been turned upside down this year, um, it's all on its head. And this is the last WGC of the season. Um, clearly, we'll have the WGC HSBC champions at the back end of the year, which will form part of the nineteen twenty season. But uh, but this is the last one of this particular year. As you say, it's, it's effectively it's difficult to to now describe it really because it's taken the spot of the WGC Bridgestone Invitational, and I've seen uh, Justin Thomas described as the defending champion which I guess technically he is because this is the WGC that's taken its place yet it's the elevation of the FedEx St. Jude Classic to a WGC invitational status so is JT the uh, is JT the defending champion or is it Dustin Johnson who won the last FedEx St. Jude mm. yeah. debatable I guess but yeah I, I think technically um, Justin Thomas is going to be the uh, defending champion for this um, and uh, We'll see how that plays out during the course of this week, but um, but yeah, that was back. That was back in two. I tell you what, it was. It was the WGC American Express Championship, yeah, which yeah. actually became the CA Championship with the Cadillac, the one that they moved to the start of the year, mm-hmm. and they played that in two thousand and six. So technically, it was a it was a different tournament to the Bridgestone. Yeah, but it did follow on the week. Oh, I'm talking absolute garbage here. They actually played that in October. At the Grove. Well, totally. No. So forget about what I'm saying. It's absolute <laughs> garbage I'm talking here. Absolute garbage. It does put a it does put an a, a new look on things, though, doesn't it? Because you've got guys that, you know, that, you know, virtually all of the field here have been in Northern Ireland in conditions that never got higher than about 18 degrees centigrade with winds of up to gusting 40, 45 miles an hour. And they're now t- stepping off the private jet in Memphis, Tennessee, in humid 33 degrees Celsius conditions. Yeah. It's going to be world. a complete and utter body shock for a start, isn't it? Let alone yeah. the jet lag. Yeah. Yeah, different world altogether. And as you say, it's mm. it's almost like dome-like conditions at the, um, at the St. Jude each year. And expecting nothing less. It looks, as you just described there, very little wind, wall-to-wall sunshine kind of 33, 34 degrees in the afternoons and particularly approaching the weekend. So it's going to be hot and humid and, um, and the complete 
opposite to what we saw at uh, Port Rush. So the guys are not going to need to adapt their games pretty quickly, but you know, a lot of these players are PGA Tour players anyway and will be far more comfortable actually with uh, with conditions over there than they were this week. So, um, so yeah, you know, you've got this dilemma as always the week after a major as to how you play it and how you think the players are going to re- react to their performances or lack of performances the previous week. Be interesting to see. Anyway, just some detail on the on the uh, well, the course and the event itself. It's a field of sixty four. In fact, it's down to sixty three now because shock horror, Shane Lowry's not playing, um, as was uh, very likely to happen um, after his yeah. win. Um, no, no, <laughs> yeah, no cut. So everyone's going to play all four rounds. Um, we've got most of the top fifty in the world here. Uh, the exceptions being Tiger Woods. There's no Ricky Fowler, no Francesco Molinari. You finished like a train, didn't he, yesterday or on, on Sunday? Uh, no Bernd Wiesberger, no Lee Westwood, and of course, no Shane Lowry now. But then you've less, left with the bulk of the rest of the OWGR top 50 and a handful of uh, qualifiers have made their way into the field by various means over the last few months or so. The market itself, um, headlining, um, favourite at the moment, just about favourite, is Dustin Johnson. He's won round this track twice, so you can see the logic there. 9-1, to one. there's a little bit of 10-1 to one about DJ, but generally 9-1 to one or shorter. Uh, Rory McIlroy, 10-1, to one. he's been supported, and clearly people are picking up on the fact that he did have that flying second round, and it may well have buoyed him moving forwards, we shall see. Uh, Brooks Kepko 11 to 1 drifting. Again, there's this whole kind of narrative with Brooks that he only gets himself up for the majors and everything else is pretty incidental. So it looks like the market's picking up on that kind of vibe, I guess. Uh, 12 to 1 John Rahm. Um, so you've got those four players who are all in that kind of 10, 10 to 1, 12 to 1 bracket. And yeah, yeah arguably the winner could, could quite easily come from, from one of those guys. Outside of that, Justin Thomas, 16 to 1, he's been backed in and he's got to go off at 14s or short, probably 14s, I expect. Justin Rose, Xander, Patrick Cantlay, or 22 to 1, Tommy Fleetwood, 25. Unlucky Tommy, wasn't he? He played really well last week. He's another one of these guys that in, he, he can just grind, can't he? Mm-hmm. So the worst of the conditions, you just know that Tommy's going to hang around. Yeah. Can I just stop you? Mm. The last time this happened was. This the Bridgestone Invitational used to follow on from the PGA Championship in August, up until two thousand and six. But of course, the PGA Championship then was the last major. They then threw in this WGC, the Bridgestone, that then moved in two thousand and seven to the spot before the PGA. If you see what I mean. Mm -hmm. So um, that was the last time that a WGC was played after a major. Right. That was back in two thousand and six, won by Tiger Woods. And he'd won the week before. Yeah, it did, does at the PGA Championship because that's just what Tiger used to do. Clearly, at the top of his game. Yeah, so, um, it does it, change a, the dynamic a, a bit, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it's totally new though to this set of professional players, really, mm. isn't it? Yeah, it's it's going to be fascinating to see how who and how the players get themselves up for it. That's it's going to be part of the uh, part of the conundrum this week. Oh, Woods won it in o- Woods, Woods won the PGA, then won this. In 05, he finished fourth at the PGA, then won this. And then in 2004, Stuart Sink was 17th at the PGA. Although he came through the the field like a train. 
uh, in rounds three and four, and then went on to win uh, the Firestone. Yeah, yeah. Well, Firestone was one of Tiger's favourite tracks, wasn't it? He was loved pretty, it, he? pretty prolific round there. Could just overpower it, couldn't he? Mm. Yeah, it was right in his wheelhouse, wasn't it? So, hey, where where are you in terms of the top of the market? Where are you in terms of are you are you going for someone that was in the mix last week, or are you going for the idea like it could be a Bryson DeChambeau, someone that missed the cut, got got back to the states early? You know, where where are you kind of pitching it? Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to put too much credence on last week's performance. I don't think um, because I think this is so different to to how that was set up last week. Um, it's going to appeal to a different type of player, and you're talking. Uh, Bermuda champion Bermuda, Bermuda greens for a start, so entirely different, entirely different heat, entirely different course setup. Um, uh, Zoysia fairways as well, which um, you get on a few of the stops around the PGA Tour East Lake, Trinity Forest, Bell Reef for last year's US PGA, for instance. And um, so I think you're looking at something that's entirely different. I, the, the plus side of this week is that even though it's a, technically a new event, I guess. And um, you do have all of this history from the um, from the FedEx St Jude Classic at TPC Southwind, which has hosted it since 1989. So there's loads of data to work with. And um, the one thing that kind of throws it out a little bit, and you mentioned this earlier, is that the uh, Southwind used to be played immediately before the US Open. So some players would have played it quite a bit because they like to go out the week before the US Open and kind of hone their games. Some players have not played it whatsoever because they didn't want to go out and uh, and kind of. No, no get their game, you know, they'd prefer to have their warm-up the week before, for instance. So you've yep. got a bit of a mix of players here who've played the course before and those that uh, that, those that haven't. And I guess if you, you're digging into the trends and how much of the trends can you really carry forward to what was a regular PGA Tour event and what is now a WGC and a, you know, a high-class field, uh, arguable really. I mean, six of the last nine winners at, at Southwind had had a top 10 in their last four starts, a decent form looks good. Four of the last nine um, were also course debutants. So, you know, when looking at this, there were a number of players that you could kind of look at and think, well, um, can I can I back them? I'm, am I comfortable backing them because it's their course debut? But even as a regular PGA Tour event, if nearly 50% of the, the last nine wins were from players who hadn't played the course competitively before, it kind of suggests that it's not one that's massively tricky from from you know as you as you eyeball the course it's one that players can get their heads around quite quickly but it is a challenging track it is a tough course and um, the winning scores are generally they don't get out, out of control here it's a par 70 7244 7, yards and you know it's classically what you'd you and I describe as a technical challenge and um, par 4 scoring is going to be key scrambling is going to be key bogey avoidance is going to be key so it's going to lend itself to a decent, uh, decent event, I think. I mean, you're talking about the top of the market, and for me, I've I looked at the top four, and really, um, I couldn't build a justification strong enough to back any of the four that are there. Yet the guy that really caught my eye last week, and you mentioned him earlier, was Justin Thomas, and he looked really good. I mean, if you if you take away the fact that he did treble bogey that uh, that 17th hole, he would have finished far higher than 11th um, on the week. And I don't think you can really um, kind of count him down on that uh, on that stat. It, it was it was a, it was a tough condition right then as he was as he was playing his seventeenth hole, and uh, you know it was a tough track where these things can happen, unfortunately. 
Um, he's a debutant here, but as I just said, I don't think that's too much of a problem. And in fact, at this point in the season, a lot of these players are, you know, they're running on fumes right now. And because he's had he's had that uh, wrist injury during the middle of the season, he's had more time away from golf. He's had, he should be more rested than a lot of these players coming into this. Yeah. Um. So you know, he's he's not going to be anywhere near as fatigued. I don't think as as many of these other players. And he clearly thinks he's feels that he's playing some great golf. It was interesting. Uh, listen to some of his interviews post the rounds last week where he, he talked about how close he felt he was to some really, really top form. And I, I kind of, I, I agree with that, I think. Um, since he came back from his wrist injury, his ball striking has been fantastic. And it's been the putter that's really been letting him down. And although we've not got any really strong stats to work with from the Renaissance Club at Scottish Open that he played, um, and also last week he only got the very basic stats from the Open Championship website, he did make 24 birds and an eagle at Renaissance, and his raw putting average last week at Port Rush was 1.58, which is far stronger than what he had been achieving in those events um, immediately after his uh, his wrist injury. So I think the putter's warming up. His ball striking is very, very strong. Um, he won the US PGA Championship at Quail Hollow and Champion Bermuda. And I think these kind of par 70 layouts where par 4 scoring is key are, are great for him. I think that's one of his strongest suits. Um, fourth for par 4 scoring on the PGA Tour for the season to date. Um, so, so clearly he's going to be able to make a score or should be able to make a score around a, around a track like this, even though it is his course debut um, four top 10 finishes in his last five WGC's clearly won this parallel event last year won the Bridgestone last year um, and that's his last win but I think he's due another one very very soon been backed heavily this week I got him at 18s yesterday he's 16 best price now I suspect he'll go for 14 so if you fancy a bit of Justin Thomas um, I would take him sooner rather than later. He did open with one book at 22 to 1 yesterday, but that was snaffled up incredibly quickly, as you would expect. DJ is a two time winner here. Mm. Before it was a WGC event, really. And if you think about where DJ's played well in the past, Kapalua. Yeah. Justin Thomas won there. Another, another good track for DJ was Firestone. Well, that's yeah. where Thomas won this last year. And. Thomas also got in that playoff, didn't he, with Lefty at uh, Chapultepec, the WGC Mexico Championship. That's another thing I know that you've mentioned. He's got a great WGC record. Yeah, he has. DJ's won there twice, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. You can see a lot of course correlation between the two. There is a lot of correlation. I like the fact that um, I think he plays well in warmer conditions. I think he plays well. um, Oh, God, yeah. uh, Bermuda greens generally, but Champion Bermuda clearly... He, he's won on that, as I said, at Quail. Um, his putting average that week was uh, 1.60 from memory, which is absolutely bang on for um, any, well, any tournament. But if you're producing that at a major championship, then um, you're clearly getting on with the surface. So, so yeah, I, I do like uh, I do like Justin Thomas this week. I think he's got a very, very strong chance of uh, I'm getting, with back, getting back in the winner's enclosure. He was the one that jumped to the top of my mind mm. when I was just thinking about it over the weekend. Yeah, so I'm all over Thomas like a rat. Indeed. Um, I've gone for three other kind of mid to longer prizes. Bear in mind, it's only a field of 63 now. So um, you're not going to get a massive, uh, massive prizes further down the list. 
Um, on the plus side, the bookies generally have been pretty generous this week, and you've still got four books going seven places each way at fifth of the odds um, over here in the UK. They are Betfair, Paddy Power, Bet Fred, and Boyle Sports all going seven each way. So you've got a choice between going seven and a fifth or five and a quarter with most of the other books. Um, and again, you've got a choice of whether you take a slightly shorter price and the, the more places or or um, the fewer places and the longer price. But uh, given that you've got seven places covers a big chunk of the uh, 63-man field, um, that's how I've played my final three picks. Um, first up, Andrew Putnam, who was fourth at the Scottish Open, 12th going into Sunday at Port Rush. And he got, again, kind of got blown off the course with uh, the wind and the rain, shot 77, so drifted down a bit, and that's kept a, kept a lid on his score or living his price um, for this week. But um, I think up until that point, he'd been playing some really nice stuff. He won the Barracuda last year, so he's not defending um, where he would have been defending this week over at Barracuda because clearly he's elevated himself up the uh, pecking order a little bit and getting himself invites to the uh, to the WGCs. So I think it's good for him. Um, clearly playing well at this kind of, kind of time of the year, though, um, which always bodes well. When he won that last year, two top tens in his last six starts, and then that led to a win, and he's in an identical vein of form right now. He's third at the Charles Schwab, and fourth, as I said a second ago, at the Scottish Open the week before last. So in the same kind of form um, leading into his last win. Fourth at the WGC HSBC Champions last year on WGC uh, debut. Clearly was quite comfortable at this kind of level. Um and if you look at course form, second here at the FedEx St. Jude Classic last year. Second for driving accuracy, first for greens and regulation, third for scrambling that week. He clearly got to grips with the challenges of the course. But Putnam's a great putter, and he's been putting some, some, re some really great putting stats over the mm. last six or eight weeks. So you tie yeah, together the fact this, that... I noticed this yesterday from your preview. Yeah. yeah his, his putter has been on fire. Absolutely on fire. So if you combine that with the fact that he, from tee to green, he absolutely nailed this course last time he played at the uh, at the St Jude Classic. Um, as I say, comes second, and then combine that with the fact that he's putting very well at the moment. I think he's got a chance. Um, Seventy to one uh, with seven places, I thought was well worth taking on for for Andrew Putnam. You know, clearly not one of the most fashionable names um, in the in the market, but um, I think he's got a great chance of getting top seven or better this week. And two others, similar kind of prices. Ches Reeve, 60 to 1. Uh, he missed the cut at the Open Championships. They had a weekend off. That was his third Open Championship missed cut from three starts. So it was no massive surprise, really. Now, he missed the cut in Detroit the week before as well. So, or in his start before. So you, you've got a player coming into this with two consecutive missed cuts. And again, I think that's just kept a lid on his price here. And prior to that, third at the US Open and won the Travelers Championship. So, you know, for a player who's got very recent winning form um that's i think 60 to 1 that i grabbed with seven places was um, well worth taking here and in terms of course for mr cutton debut in 2011 um in 2011 but then 27 2013 he was 27th 12th on his next start in 2015 4th then 6th over the past two years so track wise he really clearly gets on with the uh, with the course and with Ches, his putting can be the one aspect that really lets him down. Great ball striker, Ches. But um, his putting can let him down. He has putted in the 1.7s on each of those four last occasions when he's come here. So 
um, get some of the greens, get some of the track um, in some decent, decent form prior to the last two weeks, which, I, I, you know, the fact that he missed the cut immediately after winning the Travellers, I got, it doesn't surprise me whatsoever. Players do. Mentally, they just take the week off. The fact that he missed the cut at the Open, it's not his game. We've seen that. It's just not his game. Three missed cuts out of three at the Open. So, um, I think he's got a chance. Par four scoring, I mentioned, has been one of the key attributes. At the Travellers that he won, he was 13 under for the par fours. The next best in the field was eight under. So, he was five clear shots better on the par fours than his next best opponent on that track. And, yeah, I think given given his liking for the course, and you know, if you if you can overlook that last couple of uh, couple of starts, then I think he's a decent price. And the final one, again, same kind of price point, seventy to one, Branch Snedeker, um, and again he missed the cut last week, missed the cut on the number, um, so he wasn't a million miles off. Um, you know, if you look at we talked about Brent and Brent and one of the uh, preview shows, I'm sure. And, about the major championships, and he's really just not produced the goods, has he, over the last yeah, couple of years? He seems to have some so. mental block about the major. Yeah, it's 16th at the USPJ at Bethpage was his best for the last couple of years. And you go back prior to that, he was notching a top 10 every single year, pretty much religiously, in, the, in one of the four majors. But he's been off the boil with that uh, over the last few years, or the last couple of years at least. But if you dig through his history, and I found this quite interesting, really, three of his nine PGA Tour wins have come directly the week after a major championship. So at Wyndham 2007, Wyndham 2018, he won immediately after the PGA Championship. He won the Canadian Open in 2013, the week after the Open Championship. He won the Heritage in 2011, a fortnight after the Masters, um, and he finished fourth uh, the week before that in between, so wedged in between those two. So perhaps there's this kind of mental uh, pressure, this mental build-up that that he feels on the the major championships, and immediately afterwards that pressure goes, you know, and uh, he can produce some of his best golf. And if that's the case, then I thought, well, seventy to one is well worth taking on here. Um, for a guy who he's, he's produced a couple of top five finishes last month, Canadian Open Rocket Mortgage Classic, so clearly some decent enough links, that uh, decent enough form. He's won uh, East Lake on Georgia Fairways. He's won a Sedgefield on Champion Bermuda. Fifth here in 2007, sixth here last year at St. Judith's uh, at TPC Southwind. So course form, current form from June, kind of correlating track form, and uh, immediately after the majors form as well. It all adds up to uh, to a decent bet for me on him, him at 70 to 1, I must say. Quite fancy his chances this week. But yeah, they're my four. So again, you can build, build a case for... There's so many good players in this field, you can build a case for for many, many more. But um, that's where I'm pinning my four chances this week. Any others that catch your eye other than JT? I think JT is a must-back. I think you could build a case for Xander. It would break yeah. your heart. Yeah. But we know that we know that Xander won at Eastlake on, on Zoija. Yeah. Um, clearly a winner at Kapalua. Um, has bullied um, these short field, high quality events in the past, hasn't he? Uh, you could build a case for Xander, undoubtedly. Yeah, I've, I've, noticed, I've, I've noticed he's very good from the sort of one seventy five to two hundred yard range, which seems to be a prerequisite across DJ and Daniel Berger's wins here. 
Yeah, another one in that kind of bracket is uh, Patrick Cantlay as well, who, who did come close yeah. to me. Um, the thing with Xander, I, I wonder how much this um, this driver issue that he had pre the Open Championship and had to change his driver because he's uh, he was you know deemed to be using an illegal driver for for uh, prior to the Open, and I think that that will have affected him. I think it will have affected him in, in that um, some of his fellow peers were kind of he, he hinted at in an interview that people had been saying that he was cheating. Um, which right. you know, it's a strong, it's an emotive word, isn't it? it, it what was, was what was it about the driver that was illegal? It was just out of specification, by the looks of it. So clearly, there's some tight specifications about drivers, and I think his beef with it was that he um, they, they tested thirty of the field, so you know, only less than one in five of the field were tested, and clearly his driver was seen to be outside of the specification, so he had to use a different driver, um, right. and that threw him out on the first day. He found he did some testing on the Thursday night with a new driver, got something, you know, a setup that he liked, and uh, yeah. clearly from the Friday onwards he not went ideal. out and produced some decent golf. But yeah, it's not ideal whatsoever. And um, you know, how much does that carry forward? You know, as a young a young man, he'll either brush it off or he'll he'll it'll be on playing on his mind. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It was just enough to put me off this week, but but yeah, as you say, in terms of correlating courses. Um, there's, there's a lot to like, and he, he, you know, he lifts his game for the bigger events. It's not necessarily just the majors. He's clearly done well in WGCs and uh, playoff series events and the, the tournament of champions. And you know, where, where there's a strong field for him to compete against, he does tend to lift his game. So uh, it wouldn't surprise me to see him in the in the mix this week. But um, but yeah, with the prices and offer, there's only a limited number you can really go for justifiably at the, you know, or at the top or around the top of the market so pinning my hopes on JT this week the other one that, the other thing I've taken note of because I used to tip on this every every, every year but you look you go back to the old days like Harrison Fraser one here mm. uh, DJ as we know uh, Ben Crane Fabian Gomez you know we're talking <laughs> a dim and distant I mean yeah of course this is dim and distant kind of Neanderthal time but they all played well around Kapalua. Mm. And when I say well, I mean, Daniel Berger has got an 11th there. Fabian Gomez finished top six mm. at the Tournament of Champions. The one I mentioned to you and the one I think has got a great need to play well is Patrick Reed. Yeah. When you, when you look at Patrick, you never see stats that look overly impressive. But if you just do the, if you do the raw kind of let's join the dots, Reed is a winner at Kapalua. He also plays well there pretty much every time he tees it up. Mm-hmm. Um, he's won the Wyndham Championship. I think that was his first PGA Tour win. He won that on champion Bermuda grass greens at Sedgefield. Um, I think he's got a couple of top tens around Eastlake, something like that. So that covers off the kind the um, the uh, Zoysia grass kind of angle. I just think that Reed in a humid. Bermuda grass kind of golf course. I think he's got a top 10 here as well in the past. He has, yeah. From and fifth, yeah, he's way outside. Pre- I know, and Barry would be shooting me down here in flames, Steve, you know, these things don't come into anyone's minds about President's <laughs> Cup, this, that, and the other. But there's no doubt that he's starting to shake off his Masters green jacket blues. Um, he was fifth uh, the other week at the Mortgage Classic, was it? Yeah, the Rocket Mortgage Classic. I know it's quite a small tournament. But his form reads 5, 23, 3M Open, 10th last week at the British Open. So 
I just think he's starting to come round, Reed, and he won't want to rely if he can avoid it on a on a captain's pick into the President's Cup team. There's no way that Woods won't pick him because well, you say that it's the political side of it. He's a bit he's a renegade, isn't he, Reed? Mm. But you know, Captain America. Yeah, I think Matt that he, game, isn't yeah. I think if you can name three players that have got motivation and the freshness to play well both this week and through the FedEx Cup playoffs, I think you're gonna you would do well to to pick better players than one Justin Thomas, two Bryson DeChambeau, not sure this suits this week, three Patrick Reed. They've got a real need to play very, very well over the next stretch of a month's goal. Yeah. So I think Reed. I mean, forty to one. That's quite a quite a nice price, I think, on Patrick Reed. Yeah, he ticks a lot of boxes. He's got some decent putting form at Quail Hollow as well, which is another another ticking ah, box. But so. yeah, champion Bermuda grass. Yeah, mm. he had an eighth there, didn't he? Fairly recently. Yeah, it's, at Quail got, Hollow. He's got. Uh, he clearly gets on with the surfaces. So uh, so yeah, I consider logic, and uh, again, I, I, uh, there's no justifiable reason to put you off. You know, he's he's good around uh, trickier tracks. Uh, yeah, you know that's juicy thirty to forty kind of range. That's probably the one I would take, Patrick Reed. Yep, no, I can see the logic. But yes, I'm I'm completely with you on JT, and I can see the logic of also with those extra places on offer, shoehorning in those those sixty to eighty to one shot chances. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's some pretty generous terms, I must say, this week. So it's worth uh, taking a taking a punt on a couple of those, I think. Now, the PGA being the PGA, they seem to want to have alternate events whenever they can have them. So, I mean, the Barbasol last week, with respect, you know, they're playing at the same week as the Open. I do have my doubts, but of course, there are journeymen and young pros trying to make a impact on the PGA Tour, earn cards, keep cards. Jim Herman, I mean, that was crazy last week. <laughs> I think I counted double-digit missed cuts. Was it 400 to 1 that I see? Something mad like that. Must have been. And then, of course, someone's tweeting out, oh, yeah, but he had a chat with Donald Trump and all of a sudden it's all come good. And you thought, well, (laughs) yes. It'd have been nice to have known about the chat about Donald Trump before he actually got interviewed after actually, you know, storming to the front. But, yes, Jim Herman, how how, um, crazy was that? But that's what you tend to get with these alternate events. They're either a fairly obvious winner or something completely and totally left field. Mm. And if you look at this Barracuda Championship, at least we know it's a golf, it's a tournament that's played on the same course each and every year. It used the modif- modified Stapleford system for scoring. So I think it's five points for an eagle, isn't it? Two for a birdie. That's right, yeah. Minus one for a bogey. Minus one for a bogey. Putnam won this last year. Andrew Putnam, 47 points. Chris Strood, 44 points. Greg Chalmers, there's another one that was completely and utterly left field in terms of it. 300 300 to 1 Chalmers won this in 2016. Mm. I was on JJ Henry the year he won in 15. We had Jeff Ogilvy. He eagled the last, didn't he, from memory? He did. I think, did he eagle the last to make a playoff? Or did he win? That might have been to win outright, actually. Yeah, remember that. Yeah, remember having a decent return on that one. That was a cracker, that was. Jeff Ogilvy won at 66 in 2014, which was his first win for over four years. 
And 2013, I was on Gary Woodland at 40s. Henry again won at 40 to 1, and Piercy at 50 to 1. So, oh, these winning prices, Steve, they mean nothing. I often get that. Um, but I I look at these because I think I think winning prices is a is a good way to pitch where you should be looking at in the market because you know the markets don't tend to change year on year. You're going to have the same kind of players who are in the same kind of form at those price points. Mm, yeah. um, yes, you get Greg Charms at three hundred one, but I'd never pick him out. I'd never pick out Jim Herman. I'd never pick out Matt Bettencourt two hundred to one. So you get those in there, but actually. 28 to 1, 80 to 1, 80 to 1, 66 to 1, 40 to 1, 40 to 1, 50 to 1. They make up seven of the last uh, nine, uh, eight winners around here. Mm. So that was a kind of price point I started to look at. Um, the other key things about Montreux, it's a, it's an altitude, I think it's a 5,000 feet above sea level. Yeah. The ball goes forever. Yeah, you can get some drives um, out there, can't you? Yeah, I used to also think this was a pure bombers course, but that's clearly not the case anymore because, yeah, Gary Woodland used to win here. JJ Henry's a big old driver of the golf ball. Um, but actually, shorter hitters can do well here. But I, I genuinely think if you can find someone that's been hitting greens regularly across the season, uh, you can find somebody that's got a history of performing well in the desert. Yeah. So when I say the desert, I mean like uh, the old Bob Hope Classic, which they now call the Desert Classic at PGA West. Uh, of course, we've got TPC Summerlin, where they play the Shriners in Las Vegas. Uh, you could also go for something like they used to play the, uh, the, what is it now? It's the Safeway Open. That used to be played at, um, at Greyhawk. Yep. Uh, that's back in like 2008, 2009. That was the first event Ricky Fowler became a kind of name at. 2009, he finished second in a playoff with Jamie Lovemark and Troy Matterson. Yeah, Troy Matterson actually won it. But Matterson, I mean, there's a name. Troy Matterson, that's the kind of player that does well at these events. Someone that just goes to a low-scoring event, 20 under, 25 under, likes the thin air of the desert and just is happy there. That's kind of where I pitch it. Um, the other thing with this is never, ever, I've learned over the years, never, I always usually do this piece of work when I'm on holiday in Devon, but because everything switched around, um, I'm actually here in Hertfordshire this year around. Next year, next week when I'm in Devon, I've actually got the Wyndham Championship. But for me, the way that I think, so I've had success with Woodland, I've had success with JJ Henry. If you look at those two players, they're absolute paradigms apart but both GIR grinders um, for me I would rather have a player that hits tons and tons of greens can hit the ball close and make shorter putts than a, a good short game player and of course Greg Chalmers flies in the face of that but yeah he's three, he was 300 to 1 so that's how I kind of work it through and what I've also learned here is never rush your tip preview because half the field will WD <laughs> and sure as enough, have. as they have Austin Cook, Bryce Garnett, Matt Jones, Vaughan Taylor, Nick Taylor, Doc Redman. I mean, 20th last week, Doc, Red Doc Redman yeah. in the Open Championship. Yeah. That was interesting. Brandon Grace was on this roster, bizarrely. He's disappeared. Then they added the, um, the new Scott that finished in the top five, Robert McIntyre. He's decided that... The why the hell am I going to Reno this week? So he's WD. 
I think we've actually got a field now that you can actually call almost semi-stable. Mm. Yeah. Colin Morikawa's the favourite. You can have him as short as 10 to 1. Um, and then we've got the likes of Martin Laird, Daniel Berger, Emiliano Grio, Ryan Palmer, Russell Henley, Seb Stracker. All have their merits. Yeah. Cool. Kind of, I say, it kind of puts the field into context, really, isn't it? I mean, Morikawa is clearly a very... You know, a big talent coming through, but um, 10 to 1? That's mighty short, isn't it? Very mighty short. short. Um, Martin Laird, unless it's... Uh, Martin doesn't tend to win, does he? His form around here is outstanding. Um, you look at Phoenix, Scottsdale, wherever you go in the desert, he was a winner, of course, the Shriners. He just... Um, he went to college in Denver, in Colorado, gets the altitude, lives in Scottsdale, Arizona. This is this is just where he plays well. So um, I can see why um, he's been tipped up by Jeremy Chapman at 22 to 1. Did he take Morikara as well? I, I, I kind of only I, glimpsed. Uh, tell you offhand. <laughs> I know that two or three of his WD'd. He, he tipped up Brandon Grace for this. And he withdrew on Sunday. <laughs> God knows when he pulls this stuff together. But um, Martin Laird's the kind of player that always does well around here. So I expect he's in the mix. He finished like a train last week at the Barbasol to get a backdoor top six, I think it was. He finished with a 63 on Sunday, Martin Laird. But of those players that I've mentioned at the top of the market, there's only one that I was ever going to back, and that's Martin Keimer. Mm. Loves um, a bit of desert, doesn't he, Martin Carmen? Well, he doesn't like American desert as such, although he did get to the final of the WGC at Dove Mountain in Arizona. Yeah, that's right. He lives in Scottsdale, Arizona, or he's got a residence there. So when he's in the States, he's at Scottsdale, yeah, in Arizona. So he's, he's dealing with, I think it's 1,500 feet above sea level there. So he's used to the altitude suck, yeah. He's used to desert golf courses. Um, he's clearly won Ab- in Abu Dhabi three times in the desert in the Middle East. Yeah. Um, we've both just got reservations about the fact that Martin Keimer hasn't won a golf champ- tournament for five years, since the 2014 US Open. Um, but it has been done in the past by someone like Jeff Ogilvie, who came here with very little form, just... Sh- put a decent round together the week before in Canada and, and won this. And actually, if you look at Keimer, he is hitting greens for fun. The putter is warmer, a lot warmer than it has been, and he's just making birdies for fun at the moment. Yeah, there's something, there's something clearly going in the right direction with Keimer. Um, it's the fragility at the, uh, the kind of business end is where it's been letting him down a little bit. Well, where was it he finished third recently? I forget now. Memorial. Memorial, that's right. He was up against a major championship quality field. Yes. He went out in the final group with Adam Scott and he was chased down by Patrick Cantley, who, who we were on, weren't we? And, you know, Cantley played like a round from the gods, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't think, it, wasn't a, it wasn't an Abu Dhabi capitulation that week, was it? It was, it was the fact that he was young about. beaten by a better player. Finished third. Since, since, since then, he had the pressure of trying to qualify for the Open. Uh, he was 10th at the Irish Open. He was 20th at the Scottish Open. Um, 
he's just been playing some absolutely superb golf. And the putter is warmer. And actually, yeah, he hasn't finished a golf tournament. But if he does get in the mix this week, and he's in the mix with a, an, an Emiliano Grio, and he's in the mix with a, I don't know, a Cameron Tringali, um, or he's in the mix with a JJ Spawn, or and there, there'll be some wild and wacky names in there, you know, a Tyrone Van Asvegen, a Trey Mullinax. I don't, I don't know who these people are going to be, a Cody Gribble. You might just find that Kaimer's the kind of guy that says, you know, I have won two majors. Um, I'm not being chased down by Patrick Cantley or Adam Scott this week and actually just holds on and gets that much vaunted win that he needs. The other thing I spoke to you about off mic, he's only made 12 PGA Tour um, tournaments. He's only played 12 PGA Tour tournaments this year yeah. and the minimum requirement is 15. Now, you would assume that when he built his schedule long ago, he thought that clearly the Open would be one of those, didn't get to play it. He would then play the Wyndham. He would have been in the top 125 and he would have clearly played the Northern Trust, Mm -hmm. which would have been his 15th start, yeah? But that hasn't transpired, has it? So at the moment, he's had to add this. He plays the Wyndham next week. But the problem he faces is that he isn't in the top 125 in a FedEx Cup. So, unless he can prize his way into the top 125, he's not going to be playing his his 15 minimum requirement PGA Tour events this year. And that's got to be a motivating factor. Needs must. He's 149th in the FedEx Cup. So he's not even on the bubble, if you like. He's 25 spots shy of where he needs to be. Yeah, so I don't think he's finish. just going to turn up. I don't think he's just going to turn up here, Paul, and just you know muck about on the range for a day or two, or turn up on Wednesday night and go out and you know on the Thursday without even playing the course. I think he'll take this seriously as a big opportunity. And it yeah. still comes with the two-year PGA Tour exemption, and they they don't grow on trees, do they? No, no, no. It's, it's, as you say, huge motivator. In fact, if he's, he's got this week and next, and he's got to. He's got to move up to that 125. He's got no other option, has he? Otherwise, it's uh, it's sayonara to your card. Yeah, if he did nothing this week and he's still 25 spots shy heading into the Wyndham next week, that, in my mind, would mean he'd need to top five, top six yeah. finish at the Wyndham. And that's no gimme at a half-decent tournament, is it? Mm, no. So I think he'll actually turn up and play this week. So I'm on I'm on Keimer at the, at, at the very top of the market. Um, I backed Keimer up. I said I'd never do this ever again, but I couldn't resist. It, he, he kind of falls into my Paul Casey category, but I just, I, I, I've had to add Johnny Vegas. I've had one and a half points each way, 33 to one with Boyle Sports, who were paying eight places in this Boyle Sports, mm. so fair play to them. So I've got market best price and eight places each way on Johnny Vegas. Yeah, He's the sort, isn't he? Yeah, he's been playing. We, we picked him out quite a few times earlier on in the season as a player. He'd been playing yeah. some really good stuff, and uh, it hasn't quite turned into the uh, to, to the win or the, the really close finish that we'd expect. But um, I think he's. Uh, I don't think he's a million miles away. He. Do you remember at the John Deere Classic a couple of weeks ago? He shot nine under sixty two and led at halfway, mm. and then fell away. You know, that's just the kind of thing that he kind of does, but. You just know at some point he's going to join all the dots together and really be in the mix. Yeah. 
He's finished fourth at the 2015 Sanderson Farms, fourth at the 2016 Barbasol. That was the one he was leading for a big chunk of. So he can play it. He, he takes these second division tournaments or alternate tournaments seriously, knows that they can be of very good use for him. And his three wins have all involved Jack Nicholas designs. So when he won the Bob Oak Classic uh, at PGA, PGA West, uh, shot 27 under, by the way, uh, across five rounds. That was that included a Jack Nicholas design. And his two wins at Glen Abbey, both, uh, of course, Glen Abbey is a Jack Nicholas design as well. So clearly likes Nicholas designs. He's done well at the Honda Classic in the past as well. You just look at his numbers. 26th, 7th for GIR this season. 55th for birdie average. 4th for total eagles. 73rd for bogey avoidance. He, he, he's just the kind of player that if he actually jotted... Uh, if the putter works, takes it seriously, hits as many greens as he usually hits. The, the fairways are nice and wide here, so his inaccuracy off the tee isn't really a factor. And we know he plays well in the desert. We know he plays well in birdie fest. So I think he could go well this week, Johnny Vegas. So I've thrown him in there. Um, I've also thrown in Bill Haas. He's come to the fore, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's been improving, Bill. Definitely. The thing that put me off Bill Haas when I went to bed last night was I had not um, on only a couple of firms had opened and he was as short as 22 to 1. Yeah. And I thought, I'm not backing Bill Haas at 22 to 1. But I'll take 40 to 1 with Unibet, six places each way of 50 odds. Mm. Because yeah. again, desert golf specialist, a couple of wins at PGA West, plays well at TPC Summerlin, um, a fourth at Scottsdale. And last few weeks, um, he was 10th at the John Deere Classic, where he was third after 54 holes. He was 11th at the Barbasol, third after 54 holes. So yes, he's been right in the mix, come on uh, Saturday evening, fell away on Sunday. It doesn't mean that continues, but 20 birdies... Versus five bogeys at the at the John Deere, two eagles and nineteen birdies last week, and only four bogeys at Keen Trace. If he can p- perform exactly the same this week, I think Hass has got a huge chance. And again, he's one of those old timers that hasn't won for a while. That when you actually find out that he wins at forty to one, a bit like Ogilvy did when he won at sixty sixes a while back, you just go, "Yeah, Bill Hass was bloody obvious, wasn't he?" Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's got the got the talent to take this field, hasn't he? 137th in the FedEx Cup standing. So he's got absolutely no reason why. Well, he just has to play well, doesn't he? Yeah. He's got yeah. to continue to play well to get his full playing privileges for next year. Something he didn't do last season. He's actually playing off a 126 to 150 category. So he he couldn't choose his schedule this year. He was basically just getting into weaker tournaments when the when he could. He would love a card next year, a full card. And at one thirty-seven, he still got to pull um, yeah, good more, performances more together. Result, yeah. yeah, he he again. If he if he was to miss the cut this week, I'd be all over him again at the Wyndham because his record at Sedgefield next week is is fantastic. Yeah. So you might you might get a bigger price next week on Haas. But anyway, he's one to follow. I think Bill Haas. Um, and finally, at a bigger price, I threw in Matt Wiley's. Um, friend at Golflandia on the Golflandia podcast Josh Teeter the Kentuckian point each way 66 to 1 again 8 place each way with Boyle Sports market leading price and marking leading um, each way places with Boyle's Teeter absolutely despises Bermuda grass but and the, the schedule this year has screwed him over royally because there's been so much Bermuda this season 
But actually, you as soon as it went, as soon as the tour went north, and as soon as we started to see bent grass in greens, his results have got a lot better. Seventeenth at Colonial, thirty-six at uh, the Travellers, thirty-fifth at the Rocket Mortgage, sick last week at Keen Trace, which was his first PGA Tour top six finish since twenty twelve, or oh, I think or oh, twenty thirteen. Yeah, it was twenty thirteen. Sorry, but Tita, he's the kind of guy that sits 170, 174th in the FedEx Cup standings. But you just look at the way that he plays golf. When he finds a bit of confidence with the putter, Josh Teeter, he can string together consecutive top five finishes. Yeah. And he's had an eighth here, uh, sorry, a tenth here in 2011 and a seventh here in 2012. I'll tell you what I've forgotten to say. You know Bill Haas? You go way back, and I mean way, way back to 2004, where, when Bill Haas was a rookie. I can't even imagine rookie uh, Bill Hass ever being a rookie. No. You know, with that balding plate. And Was he ever young, Bill Hass? <laughs> he turned up at Reno. He turned up in his rookie season. He'd done very little elsewhere. Turned up at Reno. And he was the fifty. He was in fifth place after 54 holes at uh, Montreux. Mm. So it just t- tells you that that setup next week is going to suit Bill Hass down on the ground. And Josh Tito, quite similar, 10th in 2011, 7th in 2012. I just think he's the kind of bloke who is a real greens in regulation monster. The problem with Tito is he cannot putt on Bermuda grass. So this season's been a write-off, really. But as soon as he got to upstate golf with green surfaces that suit him, all of a sudden the putter started to warm. So I could see him placing again this week. So I've got a 66-1 to each-way place bet, effectively, on Josh Tito. Who we were talking off Mike, and you mentioned to me a couple of names that came quite close for me as well in terms of players yeah. you're interested in. I, I, I take the, the reading through your preview, the stat that caught my eye is that with these, um, particularly if you're going to try and pick out a longer price player, it might just be someone who's a fantastic putter who has that really strong week on the greens. I can see your logic kind of going the other way around. Um, as, as we've seen, particularly with the like of uh, Greg Chalmers, you can get a, a putter who can come and have a, a good enough week from tee to green and, and clearly putt lights out as they'd expect, um, as you'd expect him to, to to get the job done. I mean, the stat that caught my eye, reading through the putting averages of the last nine winners here, um, relative to the field, the putting averages of the winners was second, second, first, first, second, fourth, third, 19th, first. So clearly... Yeah. Um, all of the players who've won here have had a fantastic week on the greens. Doesn't mean they're necessarily a great putter, but they've clearly had a good week on the greens. Um, yeah, they're hitting it nice and tight and converting those 10, 12 footers, yeah? Yeah, 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 those, those could... critical parts. You know, the, and the rock scoring... solid from within 10 feet, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the scoring mechanism um, lends itself to that kind of aggressive birdie making play. So play, players just fire up the pins, don't they? That's the whole point with it. Is you got it. There's far more upside by making a birdie or an eagle than there is a downside by making a bogey. So you might as well be aggressive and fire at everything you possibly can. Yeah. Um, the kind of players that caught, caught my eye in that respect, um, Bo, Bo Hosler, Bo Hosler um, he's 66 to 1. Um, he's shown bits of form recently. And, uh, you know, whilst he's not got himself over the line, he's, he's potentially one to, to look at. He's a great part of Bo. 
Um, also started to hit a few greens recently as well, which was uh, was an interesting stat. Um, Jonas Blix was another one who caught my eye. Another decent putter. He's showing a little bit of form. Mm. Um, the one I have backed though is a little bit further down the list, and that is Dominic Bazelli at a hundred to one. Now, as I said, I think you need a uh, one way to get in the job done here is you, you just going to go out and fire all the pins and make birdies and eagles. And um, if you look at the putting stats for Bazelli for the year to date, second for strokes gained putting, thirteenth for birdie oh. average, first yeah. for putting average. Yeah, it's a great putter. Seventh for one putt percentage, second for three putt avoidance. You know, he's all over these putting stats. Um, not been playing particularly well. Ninth last week at the Barbasol was a big improvement for him. And yep. he hit 80.6% of greens in regulation last week. Yep. So big, big improvement with his irons. Um, great putter, um, you know, week in, week out. He's scrambling last week, 85.7, second in the field for scrambling. And he didn't actually putt anywhere near as good as he possibly could. So um, if he putts well and repeats those kind of uh, figures um, with his approach and around the greens, then he's going to go very, very close, I think. Uh, you talked about the Desert Classic earlier. He was fifth this year at the Desert Classic, um, which is another Nicholas... Well, they've got, they've got components of it, which are Nicholas-designed um, courses, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The other fact that I've got here was, yeah, last week, 22 birdies and just two bogeys on the week. So um, 10, one, 10 under for the par fours, 10 under for the par fives. I think his, his game could be rounding into something. Now, whether he's got the minerals to get over the line <laughs> remains to be seen. It might be that this kind of aggressive um, Stableford format, as you said, is lends itself to a different type of winner. So a player who's... You know, the mistakes aren't as costly, but the, the upsides of making those birdies and eagles can be massive. So um, potentially it opens the door for a player that's, uh, that that's, uh, hasn't got over the line just yet. But uh, but yeah, I, I like the price. I liked uh, that little bit of form from last week and I'd, I'd certainly like his putting ability, Bazelli. So kind of all added up to, uh, to a punt, 100, 100 to 1 for me. Bearing in mind that he was second, where did he finish at the Desert Classic? Uh, fifth. He's one thirty nine in the FedEx Cup, and that's with a couple of top tens. So I think it's he's he's clearly got to keep playing. He's got yeah. to keep trying to grind results out because otherwise he's not going to have full privileges for next season. No, no. They're was, the kind of players I like. Players that are clearly turning up with an agenda. Yeah. Mm. Now Andrew Putton doesn't fall into that from last year because I think he was the second highest from FedEx Cup rank. But he was just playing such great golf. He'd finished second behind uh, DJ, hadn't he, at the St. Jude, and he was really rounding into some form. He was the kind of bloke that was, you would look at him and go, well, actually, Putnam in this field is one of the most likeliest tour maidens to actually get the job done. Yeah. It could be as obvious, Paul, as Colin bloody Morikara this week. (laughs) (laughs) And you go, bloody hell, 12 to 1. It's it's an awful price. And he just turns up and whips them. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't take 10, to 10 or 12 to 1 on Colin Morikara. Um, it could be as obvious as that. Um, but I just like the idea of a Kaima or a, um, a Bill Haas, someone that is turning up knowing that this is a big opportunity and he needs to play well. I think mm. that works more often in the history of this tournament than someone who's just turning up 
um, safe in the FedEx Cup playoffs and uh, you know he's just turning up to just because he fancies a, another tournament or because he likes the golf course. Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm at with three of my four. And then I just I've, th- I've thrown Vegas in there because I just think Vegas is the kind that would just pop out. And lo and behold, that nine under 62 at John Deere Classic was actually the precursor to him going out and winning a golf tournament. Yeah, yeah. There's others, isn't there? And there's like JJ Spawn. He's got a good form here. He's a Pat Perez. You could you could throw something on Pat, couldn't you? Yeah, he likes um, low scoring event. Pat, he loves low scoring. He's he's in FedEx Cup playoff trouble as well. The only thing with Pat Perez is he's he's got a year's exemption in his back pocket from the win he had in Malaysia. So actually, if he didn't make the FedEx Cup playoffs, it isn't the end of the world. As you said, sometimes it's literally needs and musts. You, you've just got to go out there and perform. Otherwise, you're not going to be playing on that tour next season. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. It's getting to that critical point in the year, isn't it? It is, isn't it? Very much so. We've only got the Wyndham Championship left next week, and that is the regular PJ Tour season done and dusted. Finished. Kaput. Yeah. Right. I appreciate your time this week, Paul. Yeah, best of luck with your picks this week. Go and get your lawn mower out. Go and give that that lawn a a nice mow this afternoon in this 33-degree heat. Maybe not. (laughs) Rather you than me. I won't be. Um, thank you to our listeners as ever. I hope you enjoyed the show, and we uh, we're not going to be around next week, are we, Paul? No, no, we're back for the uh, for the week after the start of the uh, playoffs. FedEx Cup playoffs. Hmm. There will be tips next week, but I'm just enjoying my week away in Devon, so we won't we won't be doing a podcast next week. Paul hasn't got any European interaction, so there will be Wyndham Championship tips. But that will be it next week. And of course, all the stats, the predictor model will be up, but there won't be a YouTube show. There won't be a podcast. But as Paul said, we will be back for the PGA Tour playoffs the week after, which begin at the Northern Trust. I hope you enjoyed the show. Again, if you're on YouTube, please follow and subscribe. It would be great if you rated and reviewed the podcast. And we'll see you again soon. Goodbye.